Exceeding Expectations, episode 92. How much do you know about emotional intelligence, otherwise known as EQ or your emotional quotient? It's a subject that we're going to discuss in a lot of detail today with my guest, Deborah McPhillamy, and she goes into detail about how it can really help you in so many different areas of your life. So it's a fascinating episode today. Um, Deborah will be here in just a minute. Please do subscribe to the show. Share the, the show with someone who... It's obviously going to be difficult to say to someone, you, I think you really lack emotional intelligence. I think you should listen to this. But maybe there's a subtle way you could share this with someone who probably maybe does need some help in areas such as emotional intelligence. Um, why not also leave a review for the show that would be really useful so here is this week's show with Deborah exceeding expectations my guest today Deborah McPhillamy how are you doing Deborah hello I'm so good how are you I'm very well thank you and uh, where are where did we find you today well I'm at home sitting in um, the little lounge off of the kitchen in Pagham, which is in West Sussex. It's a little village by the, by the sea. So, yeah, lovely and sunny here today as well. So are you able to, you know, because in this lockdown period, we're allowed to go out for walks and stuff. So does that mean you can go and walk along the, by the beach and by the sea? I can because it's three minutes outside my back gate. So just over the road and we've got one of those little pebble beaches. So I do go out there regularly. So I'm so, so grateful that, that my walk includes walking by the sea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that is, well, yeah, I'd love that. That is definitely an advantage. <laughs> or, you know, we always have to look for the, the silver linings in uh, yeah. whatever may happen. That's a definite silver lining. <laughs> so Deborah, what is it that you do and how is it that you help people? Well, I'm a speaker, an author, and a trainer and coach. Um, but what I specialize in is something called emotional intelligence. So I really, you know, what it means at the end of the day is I get to help people to understand themselves mm-hmm. and to express themselves um, and also to understand the people in their life. So whether it's their children, um, you know, their spouses, their partners, their bosses, their colleagues, anyone. Um, because, you know, emotion is our, is sort of the, the most, how can I put this? It really is communication from the heart. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything we do, um, everything we buy, everything we choose, every single action that we take is based on our emotion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what, that's what I do. So I, I help under people people to understand what those emotions are, where they come from, why do they have them, and specifically the uncomfortable emotions, you know. So so mm. in a nutshell, that's basically what I do. And, and, and the phrase emotional intelligence has become almost like, I don't know if it's the right phrase to use, but a buzzword. I wonder if some sometimes people really understand what it means. They don't. And I must say um, this has been – it's been very frustrating because people don't understand it. And and I remember when I started this back in 2003, I was still living in South Africa. And at the time, you know, when I was introducing it to people and telling them what it was, I had to educate them first to understand the phrase. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to do so many press interviews and all sorts of things to first educate people about it. And I've always wished there was, there was sort of a more, um, simplified way of saying emotional intelligence. But, you know, mm. and, and as you say, a lot of people used to think it was just a buzzword. But if you just think mm. about it in terms of, you know, we've all got an IQ, which is our mm. intellectual capability. So emotional intelligence, also seen as EQ, is mm. our emotional quotient. So how much do you understand your emotions and the, the language of your emotions? So I always say to people, you know, if it's just another language. If you always look at your emotions as, as a language, um, mm. it's, it's so much better to understand. Does that make sense? And, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've read um, a couple of books on it and, you know, Daniel Goldman and I did a course on it. So, yeah, very much so. I, I, I really, really realize the importance of it. Yeah. And, and I wonder how where did this journey begin was it reading a a book on it or how how did it all start (laughs) um no I, I mean I did read a book on it but what had happened was um it actually started with me being ill funny enough um 
and I quickly learned that obviously your emotions affect your your state of mind and it also affects mm-hmm. your body and all the chemistry and stuff. But but what happened was I'd been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and mm-hmm. um, I was sent to a specialist in Pretoria. I was living in a city called Port Elizabeth by the coast, you know, by the coastline or on the coastline, should I say, in um, South Africa. And uh, my doctor recommended me to, to go and see this doctor that specialized in fibromyalgia. And he said to me, you know, in his opinion, because this was back in the day, I mean, this was 2003, so he really was a man before his time. And he said to me, um, all he studies, and in his opinion, the reason people have um, fibromyalgia is because they have unresolved emotional issues. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? How can my emotions have made my body ill and you know nothing about Mr. Hark? I was, I was actually upset with him. I, was, I felt mm. really ang- angry and like, almost like offended because I was like, mm. you don't know me. How can you tell me I have unresolved emotional issues? Mm. <laughs> and then I actually said that to him and he said to me well tell me about your life and I said well I'm divorced um, I've come out of a, a very abusive relationship I was bullied as a child and he looked at me and he said have you ever had any counseling or therapy and I went no and he said my case in point mm. and but he didn't tell me how to fix it um, mm. and what had happened was I had read an article just a few weeks prior to that doctor's visit and there was a guy called David Patient and he'd been very ill with HIV and he was talking about how he managed to not ever, um, you know, for the the virus to turn into AIDS and how he was talking about something called psychoneuroimmunology and how your psychological state affects your body. Um, Anyway, so I got back to South Africa and um, I emailed this guy and he and I said to him, listen, I'm doing everything right. You know, I eat well, I exercise. I, I don't understand why I have this fibromyalgia. And he said to me, he emailed me back and he said to me, your body never lies. Um, your symptoms tell me that you have unresolved emotional issues. Hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. All right. But, but, but what he did differently was he sent me a manuscript um, on psychoneuroimmunology. And then in exactly the same time period, my boss had just got back from America and he said to me, can you find me a trainer that trains emotional intelligence? And so, you know, the company that I worked for was a company that nurtured entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he was saying, you know, we need to teach our entrepreneurs uh, in emotional intelligence because, you know, they, they have a lot of stress and, and failure and they need to build resilience and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, and I said to him, well, what on earth is emotional intelligence? And he handed me Daniel Goldman's book, and he said, yeah, go read it. And it was such a difficult book to read. Um, and then I couldn't find anybody who trained it. And I eventually found two doctors in South Africa who wrote a workbook on it. So it was just a workbook full of activities and stuff like that. And once again, it wasn't teaching the process. And then basically what I did was I emailed them and I said, please, will you teach me everything you know? And they said, no, just use the book. And I said, you can't just tell me to use the book. The book doesn't tell you enough Mm -hmm. how to do this. And so I just Mm -hmm. nagged them. I just kept asking and asking and asking. Um, And I said, please. And then eventually they said, okay, Deborah, come and spend some time with us and we will teach you everything we know. And it was in that Mm -hmm. training where like all the light bulb moments went on and I was like, oh my God, this is the solution I'm looking for to not only um, resolve my own emotional issues, but Mm -hmm. to understanding my children. And there was just so much that came from that, and I've been obsessed about it ever since 2003. So it's my absolute passion. I love it. Um, and I obviously then went on to study other things. I studied, um, you know, um, mind power at PNI and NLP and everything else that comes after that. So, so yeah, that's how my journey started into this. And so, how did you integrate all you know all of the things that you just said? What what was it then that came next? Did you start sort of offering it as a as a course, coaching, workshop? I mean, what what happened then? So basically, the first thing I did was I introduced it to corporates. I, I first introduced it to the company that I was working for. Um, mm-hmm. So I then taught them um, because obviously you know that's where the whole thing started and working with entrepreneurs. 
Um, but then I decided to go on my own and I started my own training um, business and coaching and counseling. Um, I then started working with corporate companies, with banks, with anybody that was interested. So um, I was quite strategic about it in, in, in a sense because I had to get the word out there. I just felt like people needed to know about this. So I, I first of all went and did loads and loads and loads of press. Um, so, and because it was so new and because I was the only and the first commercial trainer of this, um, because, as I said, these two doctors weren't promoting it. They weren't training. They weren't doing anything with their book. So I really just went, right, people need to know about this stuff. Um, so I got a lot of press from it, which, which was amazing. So people then started contacting me. They said, yes, we want to do this. I started going into companies um, where they were really struggling with their staff. They needed to be understood. Um, they needed to understand the relationships because soon after I did the, the EQ training, I did personality profiling. So with um, Thomas International, where you then learned about obviously DISC, you know, um, the, the, how the different personalities fit into um, human behavior. Um, mm. And then, as I said, I did mind power, which was John Keogh's mind power, because obviously if you want to understand your emotions and especially your unresolved emotional issues, all mm. of that stuff lies in your subconscious mind. So mm. I needed to understand how do you bring that information into the conscious. So it was very important for me to understand how the mind works. So I then did that. Um, the P&I stuff I did was about understanding the body and how your, um, how your psychological state affects your immune system, how it affects your body in terms of stress, anxiety, what actually happens, what are the chemical reactions that go on, so that connection between mind, body, um, you know, and your mind and your body. So, yeah, so I just used to see whoever I could, when I could, and then what happened was, I had a coaching practice at home. So a lot of people came to me, even the corporates would send like their executives that had anger management issues. Um, so they would come and spend a day with me so I could help them to resolve their anger. Um, and then I started seeing children because for me, children, you know, if you're going to change a society and you want grown-ups to not have the same issues, or should I say grown-ups to have these unresolved issues, you need to start teaching at a young age. And it was interesting what I discovered in my coaching practice was that the children and the adults had exactly the same issues. Mm. They didn't understand themselves. They didn't have the skills to resolve it. They, because they hadn't learned these skills, they didn't understand themselves. They didn't understand their emotions or why they did things, you know, because a lot of times we, we do things unconsciously. We do it because it's been learned by you know, from role models. So we would learn how to behave or do or say things because our parents did it, because our teachers did it. Um, so that was really interesting. And I just thought, you know what, I really want to focus on children because through this process, I remember my son saying to me the one day he was a teenager and he said, mommy, for the first time, I feel like you actually understand me. Mm which was quite hard to hear, but also good to hear because I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it would have been amazing if I understood my kid from a really young age because I would have been a different parent. I would have parented them in a, in a complete different way and I would have tried to prevent them picking up on all the stuff that I had, you know, all the anxiety and both of them had also been bullied at school and um, so yeah, so the whole thing kind of evolved and then I went on to, as I said, I then did, um, NLP and I then started studying energy because I, because I also discovered, you know, that emotions are just energy and, mm -hmm. um, how we connect with people has got to do with the energy of who we are. So the energy in terms of, um, you know, our actions and how we feel and how our emotions can make us feel tired and, and, you know, so all of that. So, yeah, it's kind of just evolved over the years. As I said, I've been doing this for 17 years already. So whenever I find something that I feel that fits in with us and resonates with me, then I'll go on to study that and make sure that that kind of, I, I just blend it into my teaching um, and, and my coaching. And so how does that look at the moment then? So what, is it people come to you for individual coaching or, or what happens right now? I tend to do more group work because I find that um, I'm very open to people who do want to do individual work, but it's um, I don't always have the time to do it because I'm always mm -hmm. writing books 
um, and I've got a podcast and, you know, I've got a, I've got an academy. So I've got an online academy called Selfie School because <laughs> it's all about self and we teach emotional intelligence in there. But I teach tutors as well. So the process that I go through is really starting right from the bottom in terms of who are you? Do you actually know who you are? Who do you want to be? You know, because you find that just like um, the, the reason that I had that fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and all sorts of things was because I was not just not resolving my emotions, but I was living my life according to somebody else's values and beliefs. So part of the process of becoming emotionally intelligent is you kind of start off with your self-awareness so that you know who you are, who do you want to be, what are your values, what are your beliefs. And there's so many unconscious beliefs that we are raised with, not just by our caretakers and our families, but the the community. So we go through that process of uncovering your irrational beliefs, your hidden beliefs. Um, And then, you know, we go to communication and listening. So it's this whole process that I take people through in my um, selfie school. And then when they have questions and stuff, you know, I answer that in a group setting um, in, in my Facebook group. So I've, I've kind of evolved more into a membership because I just feel that I can um, serve so many more people in that way. Um, but then when people do want to work with me individually, I only work with a few people every year individually, those that really want that one-on-one help. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's going through my mind as you were just explaining that is something that um, in a lot of previous guests I've had who have done many differing types of coaching on all, all sorts of different areas. And and the thing that I've heard so often is the people that are probably most in need of various people's help are, are not the ones that often get to hear of it. And I get the I get the um, feeling that's going to be the case with you. Probably the people who most need your help aren't the ones that come to you. Yeah, because there's this sense of shame and embarrassment. And, you know, you find people saying, well, I should have known that or um, mm. I could have done better. or And then they just hide. They just hide from wanting to look for help because they feel mm. like they have failed their parents um, they fail themselves. What I find with a lot of my clients is that when they start opening up, they almost feel like they are betraying their family because they are talking about what has happened to them as children or how they were raised. And that is what holds people back from actually asking for help. And then, of course, mm-hmm. in the UK, there's this thing about, you know, keep calm and carry on. There's this whole Mm. stiff upper lip. We don't talk about our emotions. We don't talk about our feelings. But, you know, when you don't, so much stuff gets suppressed. Mm. And then it comes out in rage and it comes out in anger. And then, of course, people hide all of that stuff. They hide their feelings. They hide it in drinking too much. They hide it, um, you know, by by doing all sorts of other things. So you're Mm. right when you say, you know, people, it's not that they don't hear about it. I think they do hear about it, but they just blank it out because they just go, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to feel this pain and embarrassment and then have to betray my family by mentioning that it was actually my family that caused this unease within me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, before we were talking, before we started recording, Marvi, you were were telling me about the story of Bianca. Do you want to tell us about that? So... Bianca, oh my gosh, you know, her story always stands out in my mind. And I suppose it was because she was one of my earliest clients and one of my, my not my youngest. Um, so when I was working one-on-one with a lot of children, Bianca was a little girl who her mom came to me and she said, listen, my child has just been told that she, or I've been told that my child has ADD um, and that I need to put her in a special school because she can't concentrate at school, she can't focus, and there's an issue with her, and I don't believe this is the case, so please will you work with her um, because I think that the whole, you know, putting her into a special needs school is the last resort, and also um, the pediatrician had prescribed Ritalin. And I said to her, no problem. And she came to me and there's this one little exercise that I do with kids and what I teach tutors to do as well 
is that they all sit around a, a table. We do various things in our little workshops. And they were sitting around the table doing some fun craft stuff. And I, and I passed the mirror around. And I said to them, I want you to look in the mirror. And then I want you to tell me what do you like about yourself? What don't you like? And what will you change? She must have been about nine years old. And she looked in the mirror and she said, there's nothing I like about myself. And I, will, I want to change everything. Wow. Now, this is a beautiful little brunette girl, nine years old. I mean, and this is what she said. And I was like... So why do you say that? What is it that you don't like about yourself? You know, why do you want to change who you are? And she said, my teacher told me I can't do maths and I'm stupid. Wow. And what I then realized in that moment was the reason that she came across as a child who had ADD or ADHD, it wasn't anything to do with that. It was just that she had become so uncomfortable in her own skin she was trying to hide herself away, hide away from the teacher, hide from mm. humanity. Because, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Tony, but, you know, sometimes when you've failed in life or you've done something wrong and you're so embarrassed, it's almost like mm. you feel like you're wearing a massive big label on your face. Mm. You know, that yeah. the whole world can see that you failed or you're a black sheep or you're stupid. And so for this little girl, that's how she felt. So she was trying to hide her head in shame, but it made her restless so she couldn't sit still. And so she was like, and of course, you know, with all of us, not just with children, if you've had an emotional trauma, now that is seen as an emotional trauma, as, as small as it might seem, it's still an emotional trauma for a child. So what happens is that that's all they focus on because children believe adults before they believe themselves because, you know, parents are older or adults are bigger and older, so they are supposed to know better. So they believe it. The child then thinks about this the whole time, and then they can't focus at school. They can't concentrate because all they're thinking about is how stupid they are. And this was the case with Bianca. So she couldn't focus. She couldn't concentrate. She couldn't sit still. She was so restless. She couldn't stand being in her own skin. I worked with her. At the end of, um, you know, the time we spent together, it was like over a six-week period, she never went on to Ritalin. She never went to a special needs school. And she was completely back to her usual self of being content, being happy in herself. Um, and, yeah, I mean, her whole mental, emotional health was restored. And do you know what happened to her from there? I mean, how long ago was that? This was 17 years ago. So she's now in her 20s. She's absolutely fine. She's happy. She's healthy. She graduated. Um, so, yeah, she's turned out completely fine. So it's no exaggeration to say you completely changed her life. No, and I, I suppose I'm really humbled by that because just, you know, just you saying that makes me feel a bit emotional because I think you don't realize the power of words and the damage you can cause to a child. And thank goodness she had such a switched on mom that realized mm -hmm. that something was going on. And, you know, to be able to just change her life back. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine what could have happened? She could have ended up on medication. It could have damaged her. She could have, her self-esteem would have been damaged even more, her self-confidence. So I don't even want to think about what could have happened to her if, if, she, if her mom hadn't taken that initiative and said, well, please, can you just see what, if you can find out if there's an underlying cause of her restlessness and, her, you know, whatever she was going, you know, what was going on with her at the time. Well, if her mum hadn't taken that initiative, she would be like one of the many thousands of people that are walking around now. Exactly. Who haven't, who haven't had that. Yeah. And, and that, and one of the things that amazes me about what you just said is that that only took six weeks. That's incredible for it to turn around that quickly. Well, that's the thing with kids, you know, because children are so, um, you know, they're just like sponges and they're so susceptible um, and often, I mean, we use lots of different cute little techniques. I mean, we use EFT tapping with, with children. Um, we use, um, you know, breath work. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that we use with children. We use a lot of mind power stuff, which is incredible, which you can actually, you can turn a child's um, state around in 20 minutes. It doesn't even have to be in six weeks because if you catch it straight away, it, you know, it's just, you can make a change there and then because with because if you think about it with an adult, right, 
So if a, if a child has had an emotional trauma and it, it's not seen to, they then grow up and then an, a layer is put on top of that and then another layer and then another layer. So the time mm. they get to like 25, 30, 40, 50, whatever, you've now covered that trauma so much with all these different layers, then you've got mm. to unpack it. So when they come to you for therapy or coaching or whatever, you, you've got to like really dig deep to find mm. out where that is. So yeah. You've got to get rid of the layers. Whereas with the child, you when you step in immediately, you're able to help them there and then, and they don't have all those layers on top of it. And if you're not able to help them there and then, and you are able to help them a, a few weeks or a few months or maybe a few years down the line, that still is only like a thin little layer. So it's it's. Can you hear what I'm saying? So it's like you you can have a quick turnaround, whereas with adults it takes sometimes it takes a lot more work. Although we've got some techniques that does get to it quicker, um, mm. but with children it works magically and so quickly. And is there a preferred age? Is there like a, a children of a preferred age that you find best to work with, or or not? Yes, I like to work with children from the age of four. I do have, um, we're busy developing a program at the moment with children that are under the age of four. But when you work with children from the age of four, their emotional brain has been switched on. So Mm -hmm. children's brains, emotional brains are not switched on until late three years old, four years old. They're still operating only from their survival brain underneath that. And that's why you can't reason with a child under four. You can't rationalize with them because everything about a child under the age of four is about feeling safe, feeling secure. It's all about feed me, make me feel okay, make me feel safe, um, make me feel loved, accepted, blah, 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 warm, fed, watered. Um, So when they get to four, their emotional brain is switched on and then they understand. Um, So I generally tend to prefer working with children from the age of four. And then for children under that age, I just give, I help the parents to start um, planting seeds with them because I did a trial with my grandson when he was only a year old and we used flashcards and getting him to identify emotions because with children under that, you can get them to, they start recognizing emotions and they can tell you how they feel. They can say, I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel um, whatever. So, you know, they can do the basics, but there's, they, they can just express that emotion, but they can't, do anything with it, if you know what I mean. Whereas with children with four, you can really help them to to instill the skills that they need um, for childhood and the rest of their life. What what signs should people look for or be aware of for children that are most in need of this this sort of help? Always look to behaviour because when a child feels good about themselves, then they will act good. Um, but when they feel bad about anything, their behavior will be off. Now, behavior can be anything, and sometimes it changes, okay? So especially if their behavior changes, those are sort of like really um, alarm bells should come on. So, for instance, if your child suddenly starts spending more time in the room, if they start wetting the bed, um, if they regress in any way. So say, for instance, they maybe felt confident because at four years old, we have the potential to really ruin them because at four years old, they become themselves and they start showing their personalities. So if we don't manage it nicely and properly, I don't want to use the word properly, but if you don't manage it in a a good way, you can make them regress. So for instance, um, like I've just said, so so yeah, they're confident. Now suddenly they've become quiet and introverted. Um, so any behavioral changes you need to look out for, even things like if they're angry, if they, um, they start having bad dreams and nightmares, um, mm. anything that changes, they, they suddenly, they're not hungry anymore. They start talking about tummy aches, headaches, because a lot of children, especially if they haven't been taught emotional intelligence, all the, the only way they can express it is I have a stomach ache. Mm. I have a headache. The other thing that's super, super, super important, Tony, is if they tell you they don't want to go somewhere. So um, because the thing about emotions is is that when you start understanding your emotion, it also builds your intuition and your instincts. So if you're switching off those emotions, you're also switching off instincts. 
So some children will go, no, I don't want to go to um, nanny and, and granddad's house. And mm-hmm. it's like a constant thing. That says something. Or I don't want to go to that uncle's house. Or I don't want to go to that friend's house. And if they're like really scared and they're uncomfortable about it, you really need to pay attention because children don't just draw attention to themselves for nothing. It's because there's Mm. something going on underneath that is making them feel unsafe and insecure um, and they're trying to express that. So they express it in their unconscious behavior or in, in, in all the symptoms I've just, you know, I've just mentioned. And what about with older children, maybe in their teens? How is that? Is it still easy to work with them or not so much? It is, but the thing with teenagers is that um, now they're all about hormones, right? So, so mm-hmm. when you when you think about little children as well, that's why parents really struggle with kiddies that are two and three years old because they have these massive surges of hormones that come into their body. So boys with testosterone, and that's why they act out and they hit and they bite and they slap and they do all sorts of things because it's just the actual chemical reaction in their body based on the testosterone surge that goes into their bodies and girls obviously have estrogen and it makes them weepy and all of that. Now, the same thing happens in teen years. So teenagers start rebelling because they want to, and it's a natural phase and it's a very healthy phase. So when teenagers start rebelling and start pushing away from the parents, it's because they are meant to start becoming more independent from the parent. But emotions um, are also, as I just said, affected by hormones. So it makes it tricky with, with, with teenagers because now suddenly girls are becoming moody. They're getting their periods. Boys are starting to, you know, develop and the whole puberty thing. I mean, I'm sure you remember how terrible puberty is. So it's first of all understanding that because a lot of parents suddenly become very fearful and scared because their teenagers are acting out. So it's first a case of identifying, okay, is it hormones? Is it is that that's making them feel so or act out in the way they are? Secondly, um, you know, because they want to be independent. So you kind of got to look at a few things before you start realizing that there might be something else. But once again, you've got to start paying attention. You know, are girls suddenly behaving very promiscuously? You know, are boys starting to hide in the room? Are they coming back with marks on their body? Um, so anything that is out of the ordinary or even look for facial expressions, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, is that you know emotional intelligence and human behavior is so much more is said in facial expressions and in body language. So has their body language changed? Has their shoulders drooped? Has their eyes, can they not look you in the eye? Because, you know, when children are ashamed or embarrassed, they they can't look at you. So those are all the things that you need to, to look for and then handle it appropriately. And I know sometimes, uh, you know, teenagers or parents of teenagers often need a lot more help than those with younger kids because it's it's a tricky situation and they're not always able to differentiate Mm. or feel comfortable with with dealing with all of that stuff. I know you've you've got another story, haven't you, about um, Eve and is is it Darian? Darian. Darian. So Eve was actually, um, so Darian is small. It's not, a, he's not a teenager. He was also, um, four or five when she just said to me the one day she said, Oh my gosh, this child just won't listen to me. I don't understand why he won't listen. Um, and he was frustrated and he was acting out at school. Um, and he was being bullied at school and she was just absolutely beside herself. And she said, I don't know how to handle this. And um, she contacted me and I just said to you, you know, that when kids act out like that, and this applies to teenagers as well, by the way, that when they act out like that and they shout and they're almost like aggressive and they call you names and do what they do, it's because they don't feel listened to. Um, you know, when a child can't express themselves, whether they're young or a teenager, they just can't express themselves. And I gave her a few techniques and tools and I just said to her, you need to get to a point where you actually really listen to your child because, you know, we hear them, but we don't listen. We don't listen for the emotions. We don't listen. So in Darian's case, he just felt like, um, you know, they kept blaming him at school for doing something wrong and it wasn't him. It was just that by the time the teacher, he was defending himself by the time the teacher got to him. 
Um, you know, he seemed like he was the villain. He was the one that was mm. causing the ruckus, but it wasn't. And he mm. kept saying to his mom, but you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. So he was getting more and more frustrated, more and more angry and, you know, just hitting her. And eventually where she actually just started paying attention to him and listening to him, he's, all of his behavior just turned around. Um, and then, yeah, and then she just kept coming back and going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this works. How come this is so simple? You know, I didn't think it was this simple to help your child to change their behavior. But it's all about just connecting with them, you know, and just really listening and paying attention. Hmm. What, um, so, many, so many different questions I want to ask, and I wish I can't ask them all at once. I mean, some of the things that went through my mind is if some of the things you've been saying in the last sort of half an hour, um, I mean, Gabor Mate, I think we had a conversation once about Gabor Mate and also um, CB. Yes. There seems to be some crossover with some of the stuff that you're talking about as well. I mean, do you want to address even one of those? Or? You know, the thing is with CBT, it is good, but in all honesty, um, I also think that it's a process that needs to be shortened because I do think that if you don't give people the actual tools to deal with it, yes, of course they must talk about it and of course they must express themselves because they've got to get it out. You've got to get your thoughts out, your feelings out, all that stuff that is stuck in your body you need to get out. But you've got to address it straight away. So you've got to give people the tools to deal with it straight away. Because if they don't, they're going to keep talking about it and keep talking about it and keep talking about it. And unfortunately, over the years, that is sort of what CBT has done. So what you're doing by keep, when you keep talking about the same issue over and over and over and you're not resolving it, it's almost like you're imprinting it. You are... Um, you, you recreating it, you're then recreating the emotions, you're creating, you, you hear what I'm saying? You just, it's like you, you're just doing it over and over again. So, yes, we do use CBT, but only in that way of that you first talk about it, get it out, and then we help you, give you the tools to resolve it there and then so it's not an issue that keeps going on and on and on and that you don't have the cycle um, that continues. Mm. For people who are listening to this and they're not so familiar with with um, emotional intelligence, what would you suggest are good resources for them maybe to – I mean, I often I, – let's, let's just go back a little bit. I, at the moment, I'm working with a couple of different groups. I'm working with a group of entrepreneurs. I'm working, working with a group of DJs. And, and I've, funny enough, been telling both of them you, you should really look into – doing a course on, on emotional intelligence because it will help you in so many ways that you just do not have any idea of right now if, you, if you're not familiar with them. Mm. So for four people in that situation who just don't really see how it might be able to help them, where, where should they go to? What, what, would they, what should they do? So I've got a, a platform. My online academy is called Selfie School, as I said, so selfieschool.me. And on there I actually have a, fin, a foundation course on emotional intelligence. So every single person, so even when I train tutors, when I work with groups, when I do corporates, every bit of work that I, it doesn't matter where, from what sphere you are or what, I always first put them through a foundation course of emotional intelligence because, um, you know, we, we, we all have to start somewhere. So they can come to selfie school, they can take that course, and then if they need some extra help or to answer questions um, or for some extra coaching in the course, I actually link it to where they can get that as well, where they can get access to me, join the group, and be able to, yeah, just to help them through the process. Because I think what I, what is frustrating, and I know it was in my case when I did my training initially in emotional intelligence, was, you know, Back in the day, people would train you and then you were just left to your own devices. And the thing about emotional intelligence is a process because, you know, you go through the process of becoming emotionally intelligent, but then something might crop up. So, for instance, with entrepreneurs, you know, the whole resilience factor and the failure factor and money and all of that stuff. So our course is a membership so that people have access to me and to some of the other um, trainers that I work with so that it can help them through that. They have somebody to refer back to, somebody that can go, wait, you know, have you thought about this yet? Or this seems to be what's popping up for you so that you're not left to your own devices because it really is 
a process and it's a lifestyle change. It's like the same as when, you know, you go on a diet. Um, it's a lifestyle change. It's a, it's a new way of living. It's a commitment. And it's exactly the same with emotional intelligence. What do you think are some of the ways that emotional intelligence can help people? Oh, my goodness. So many ways, but the, I think the, the things that spring to mind, and I'll talk about my own experience as an entrepreneur, if I wasn't emotionally intelligent, and I mean, even now, obviously, things still pop up, you know, we, we learn for the rest of our lives, but as an entrepreneur, so things like confidence, putting yourself out there. So if you've got a belief of that you're not good enough, if you, and often these beliefs, as I said, are subconscious, so you don't even know they're there. Um, you, they, sometimes they're irrational. So things that people have said to you, um, when you failed. And you know, the thing about entrepreneurs, we fail. We fail a lot, but the whole thing is about, you know, fail quickly so that you can get up again quickly. So when you're emotionally intelligent, you know that you go, Oh, okay. This failed, not you. You didn't fail. What you did might have failed, but we often take it so personally. So you kind of learn how to separate what you have done and what your emotions are from yourself. Because, you know, the way I like to explain to people about what emotions are, they're almost like little bubbles of energy that are sort of in your energy field or in your, um, your mind, and you can actually get rid of them. Because how you feel or what's happened to you doesn't define who you are. But if you don't resolve that and you don't kind of um, look at why you now suddenly lost your confidence because your 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 project failed or why you're not making enough money, um, if you don't look at what the underlying cause of that is, then I'm sad to say that you'll probably never succeed because and this is what happens with entrepreneurs because they haven't learned the basics of to get up again, bounce back, look at the external factors that have affected their failure. They just see that it's they the failure. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it reminds me of the film Inside Out, the, um, was it Disney or Pixar? Yes. Where <laughs> the, 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 the little girl has got six different characters or just six different um, characters representing her different emotions. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating film. Because it's all about self. So if you think about it, you know, we're not just a, what was it in uh, one of them? I don't know if it was in The Secret or if it was um, what the bleep, somebody um, described it. They said, you know, we're not just a big meat suit. <laughs> you know, so what makes up your your human existence is, you know, mind, body, soul, and then your confident self and your self-esteem and self-love and self-acceptance. So it's all of these things that we look at as in a whole of what makes you unique as a person. So obviously, you know, looking at your own self-image, so even coming back to entrepreneurs or even coming back to that story about Bianca and your children. So her everything that happened with her came back to her self-image. So the image she had of herself. So the image she had of herself within her mind internally is what reflects then on the outside. So that's why I came up with this whole thing about selfie school, because when we take you through the process of emotional intelligence, we look through all of those things. How is your self-confidence being affected? How do you express yourself? So, yeah, and I just loved it. I just thought it was fun. I thought selfie school, you know, people take selfies of themselves. And even that, Tony, says a lot about a person. Because as I said earlier on, you know, what you see on the outside, your facial expressions, your body language, your whatever. So, you know, when you're taking those selfies, what does it say about your actual self-image? And if there's anything there that you don't like, what are those underneath those things underneath that we can work on or help you with to become a complete and whole self that feels able to be authentic and express yourself in an authentic way. And don't you have a, a podcast around this, don't you? I do. And it's just called my Selfie School podcast. So, you know, when people go to Selfie School, um, there's a little link at the top that says Selfie School um, podcast. Yes. What sort of things do you discuss on your podcast? 
So my podcast is about, I love inspiring stories. I mean, I follow lots of inspiring people. I read their books. I'm just a knowledge junkie. I just absolutely love it. And so when I read inspiring stories of how people have changed their lives, um, you know, I love to investigate how they did it and what was that turning point for them. So my podcast is all about mostly I interview other people who've had these light bulb moments and gone, you know what, this is not who I am. I have lived my life in a way that suited other people that my parents wanted me to be. And, you know, we all go through this midlife crisis when we get to like 50 and then we wake up and go, wait, who am I? Looking back at my life, am I happy with what I've done in my life? So people have these defining moments or they have a car crash or they get divorced or they are attacked or have some kind of illness. And that is their defining moment where they go, I'm not going to live my life the way I see fit and on my terms. And I love to interview people like that because I think it inspires other people because I really feel that, you know, we can, we, we need more of that, you know, where you look at somebody and you go, Boy, you know, if you can do it, so can I. And that's kind of the whole intention behind Selfie School is to inspire others to be themselves and hear from other people who have had those defining moments and changed their lives. We have a, a mutual friend, Helena Holrick, who, who's been a guest on this show. Um, and I believe she's been quite helpful in, in your career and in what you're doing now. So... Uh... I just feel emotional thinking about Helena. <laughs> so I was doing some work um, for Shaw, Shaw Wasman. I was on the, the coaching team. I'd gone to one of Shaw's workshops and then um, kind of they knew what I did and then asked me to work uh, as one of their coaches with some of their courses. And on one of them, I met Helena. And, you know, when Helena asked me what I did, I kind of called called myself something else, I can't remember, a relationship coach, expert, whatever. And she just looked at me and she said, that's not who you are. There's just so much more to you. You help people to be themselves. And I was like, wow, okay, you know, the way she had phrased it. And it really stuck with me because she saw something in me that I had yet not recognized and validated within myself. And then um, I attended her vision board workshop and I just thought oh we're just going to go and do something really fun yeah it's going to I've done a vision board before and this is going to be amazing and honestly what I received out of that workshop was just so much more the intuitive stuff and yeah so you know Elena just goes the extra mile and when I've had little bumps in the road or big bumps in the road and I've kind of maybe said something on Facebook she just contacts me and goes Hey, honey, what's going on? Um, and she just does it because she loves and cares about people so much. So, yeah, she's incredible. I love her. Absolutely love her. Deborah, what do you think of when you hear the phrase exceeding expectations? What does it mean to you? I think it's about giving more than what anybody expects. Or, you know, often you just people want one thing from you and then you can see what's going on and then you just give them much more. You give them more added value. Um, you give them stuff that they don't even expect. Um, and, and I mean, that's what Helena did for me. And that's what I love to do for my clients because I just think sometimes you need that extra bit of help. And sometimes you can't even see it. It's like that whole phrase about you can't see the wood for the trees. So I think it's just giving more love, more kindness, more compassion, more value, just adding more to people's lives. Um, that's what it means to me. Where do people, where should they go to find out more about you, Deborah? I've got two main places that they can look. They can just Google my name because it's so very unfamiliar. Um, or should I say it's unusual, not unfamiliar. It's unusual. So just DebraMcPhillamy.com is my website. My children's parents one is teddiesinc.com. And then I'm kind of all over Facebook. Um, so just find me on Facebook on one of my pages and you'll find all the connections and links to Selfie School and my groups and stuff. And how about um, your book? How do they get information on your book? Only the one is available on Amazon, which is The Relationship Magnet, which is a book about um, domestic violence and to break the cycle of attracting the same partners into your life. But all my other books are actually available through my selfie school. And do you have a book that you often recommend to people? So a book that really, really changed my life. Uh, it's not really one book because it's a trilogy and it actually becomes more than a trilogy. 
um, was the Conversations with God book. And, you know, because I'd grown up in a religious environment, so for me to have that understanding of the universe and God as such is just amazing. Those books, so the trilogy of Conversation with God, but then my absolute favorite one after that was Friendship with God. So Neil Donald Walsh is incredible. I love um, his work. So I would highly recommend if you ever wanted to have an understanding of God, the universe, kindness, um, whatever you, you know, you want to call this loving energy that we all reside within. Um, those are the books that I would recommend. I believe your favorite quotation has some similarities to, to the book you just talked about. Very much. So Wayne Dyer's quote, when he says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And why I love that is because even when you just look at yourself differently, um, look at yourself through other people's eyes. So the people that adore and love you the most, look at yourself through their eyes because when you change the way you look at yourself, you will feel yourself. And it's exactly the same for your kids. Stop looking at the things they're doing wrong and look at the people who they are because the minute you start seeing them as these beautiful beings of love and, you know, a little extension of your love and how you created them, your relationship with them changes and you start guiding and mentoring them instead of trying to constantly fix them and correct them and try and turn them into something that they're not. Yeah, I've read that book, Wayne Dyer, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. It's so thought-provoking. There's some amazing quotes, obviously all about the, the Tao Te Ching and a, a book everyone really, really should read. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you for the last 50 minutes, Deborah, and for sharing your expertise. It's been a real pleasure, so thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. See you, Deborah. Next week is episode 93 and my guest is Mike Robbins, a former professional baseball player. He's just released a book called We're All In This Together, and he helps people around leadership and trust and getting high performance from teams. So that's next week with Mike Robbins. Hope you enjoyed this week's show with Deborah. Please do share it with someone in a subtle way who you feel could get some benefit from some of the areas that she talks about. Or it could be that um, your kids or someone else's kids are going through a period of they're finding things difficult. And so it could be that some of the things that Deborah discussed could be really useful for someone you know with kids in a, in a situation like that. So why not share the episode with them? Please do subscribe, leave a review and I hope you have a great week.